0: For years, Bill Eville, Princeton class of 87, has been writing down his life in bits and pieces, publishing essays about parenthood, childhood memories, and, yes, being a Princeton alum. Now he's gone further and written a book, a memoir called Washed Ashore, that's filled with his thoughts about high school wrestling matches, marrying a minister who fought breast cancer, moving from New York City to Martha's Vineyard, becoming a stay-at-home dad, and later the editor of the local newspaper. If all of this sounds ordinary, well, maybe it is. But in the hands of this writer, a pattern emerges. Life's unexpected turns can change you in extraordinary ways if you let them. So Bill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, it's great to be here.
0: So let's start with the book. Why did you decide to write a memoir?
1: That is a very good question. It's not like I um, got up one day and looked in the mirror and said, you're awesome. Everybody wants to hear about your life, which is <laughs> the big fear about the memoir. Um, for years, I've been, I've sort of, I started writing and I focused on fiction and I never really, I never really got to the core of it. But then when I started writing personal essays in the New York Times and the Vineyard Gazette and various other places, there was something that happened. Um, Something that happened that I was emotionally attached to on a on a level. And so throughout the years, I've been writing these essays. And after a while, you write enough personal essays. People, you know, connect with them and they say, hey, these are great. And then you start thinking, maybe I should write something longer. Or at least that's what it was in my case. And I saw a lot of themes that I thought could be universal. My wife is a minister. So there's the faith journey. I'm not religious. So that makes it kind of interesting. Um, you know, the parenting journey, the journey to find vocation and avocation, um, and the highs and lows of life, whether it's my wife's breast cancer or, you know, a kid's home run, whatever. So I thought, why don't I go, go for it? And I started by trying to write about my wife's cancer. And this was looking back now, years later, and it was terrible. (laughs) I was like, I could not connect. It was too far in the past. Um, So I went back and started looking at my essays that were written during that time and felt the immediacy, felt the emotion, resaw, relived. And I thought, I'm not going to write it better than I did these moments in my life, these episodes when they were happening. And that's when I saw a different type of structure and thought, oh, I could do this. Plus, I have a busy full-time job, so it was like, how do you fit it all in? But when I laid out these essays, I saw this this bookend kind of from the kids' toddler years until it ends with my oldest son going away to college, um, which I still get choked up when I say that because he, he left last year. <laughs> um, and I thought, wow, here are these emotionally resonant episodes that I'm now... Looking back at, and I can reshape them and fit them together, and write pieces of what I called glue, to make them form both individual moments but a fuller narrative. And that was the uh, that was the idea.
0: There are so many stages of this process. It goes back a really long time because you were taking uh, classes at the Writers Studio in New York for like 10 years, right? And you went to grad school for writing in Florida. Um, And then of course, there's the whole publishing, the world of publishing that you had to navigate. So can you talk a little bit about like all the how of you go about writing a book like this?
1: So the how and like how I wake up before my critic wakes up, before my kids wake up, before my dog wakes up and I go to the basement and I light two candles and in the dark and I have my coffee while my two candles or flickering, and um, and first thing I do is I write 300 words every day about nothing, right? Just blabbing, sort of that um, artist, um, the artist way, the Julia Cameron book, which is actually great because it just 300 words of nothing, and then I turn to writing about whatever the essay is I'm working on, um, and that's that's in a nutshell of the sort of when and how and why, but the key is visiting it every day, every morning, um, which every writer says, and you hope that you're not the one, you hope you can just visit it once a week, but you can't. <laughs> um, because what happens, say my morning routine is 20 minutes, say it's 45 minutes, whatever it is. If I visited every day, the rest of the day, it's mulching. So I'm driving around, I'm walking around with this essay that may have started with just a sentence or just a moment that I sort of was connected to, whether... I may not even know why, you know, whether it's just having to tell my daughter, like in one of the things that this half wild, half tame rabbit had died, you know, and I'm not wanting to tell her. And weeks go on, not wanting to tell her. I'm like, huh, there's something in here because um, I don't even want to address this. <laughs> so then you start to nibble away at the essay and then you're walking around with each day and then the essay starts to expand. It just doesn't become about a pet rabbit. It becomes about, you know, my daughter getting older. Um my getting older my looking back my my time with pets whatever all those other things just start to visit me throughout the day and the essay takes shape so that's how the essays kind of evolve. speaking of the point then how does it find its way into the world as a book one of my essays this was written during covid um became one of the modern love essays in the new york times um which is a very nice platform i Found out. Um, everybody reads that, and it was very exciting. And when that went out, tiny, bill-level website, which maybe gets one visitor a year, you know, suddenly gets ten thousand in one day. It's like, oh my god, people saw this, and uh, a literary agent saw it, and so he reached out and said, "Hey, what else you work on? On do you have a book? What's going on?" So that's what helped me start to get. Even more excited i'd already started to think about it but that's sort of like oh there's a guy out there who wants to read this um so that was huge and then when i finished when i finished what i felt was a good first draft of this journey before i sent it to the agent i sent it to five princeton friends to see if they what they would think and you know these are friends going back to freshman or sophomore year these are you know friends, family, whatever, you know, their blood, they're, they're, they're orange Princeton blood <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and I knew I'd get an honest answer. They walked with me, um, you know, now for God only really knows how many decades. And so it was, you know, exciting and scary when, you know, they said, yes, we'd read this thing. And then each one read it and each one got back to me and overall saying, yes, this is this is more than a few essays strung together, this is real, this is a book and great feedback about where things could go, how the narrative could flow, Um, and I'm gonna name those people, Alex Labenthal, Jay Diamond, Dave Krasani, Mia Freund, and Mike Vadis. So that was my crew in the beginning, and then after I got their feedback and reshaped and rethought, then I sent it to my agent, or who was maybe gonna be my agent, but then became, so Andrew Blauner. And then I remember he called me a week later, and I was sort of driving along the vineyard, and I pulled over next to the beach and he told me how much he loved it. And, you know, that's when I start crying because, you know, someone I don't know actually likes it. Um, and then he started then with some more revisions, he started shopping it out to publishers and the big houses all sent very nice rejections. Um, he would send me some of them like they loved the writing, love the idea, but it was too quiet. You know, I guess that's that's the phrase for not for us. Um, but there were nice rejections and then eventually a smaller publisher godine based out of boston that's been around for like 100 years and is known for creating you know really paying attention and taking care on the editing and the book what it looks like um joshua bodwell the editor there um, he said yes and then we started working together and then another year goes by as we're working on the editing and shaping it because now i have another awesome outside eye and then may 16th it goes out into the world
0: terrific you know, do you have any advice for alumni who might be interested in writing their own memoirs
1: oh yeah that's a tough one um I mean my I teach writing a lot to the high school kids I work with them on their college essays it's something you know I do for free here on the island and you know for me with with anyone who wants to write write. <laughs> it's sort of like you know there's it took me so long to give my per, give myself permission first to admit that I wanted to be a writer um, Princeton. I was an economics major, was miserable. I didn't like economics, but felt I had to do it. Um, I was not good at it. <laughs> um, I was put in lit, lit 151. You know, when you sign up and you have to write your essay to see which class you get in, I got in lit 151, which is the bottom. So I thought, I'm a terrible writer. Um, Princeton told me I was. Um, not that they really did, but this is what you internalize. Um, and then it wasn't until moving to New York City and having this thing in the back of my mind that I always wanted to write that I started taking classes at the Writer's Studio, and that freed me up to start writing. Um, and the way the way the Writer's Studio their form or their their practice is really focusing on creating a narrator. It's the it's all about the persona that's telling the story. It's not the plot, whatever. It, we weren't thinking about that. It's like how do you do? How do you just become a persona? It's almost like acting. Who's 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 the person you're going to be to tell this story? You might be too shy. Well, you can create a persona who's loud in this, or you might want to be shy. And each week we'd we'd read a page or a, a chapter and then we'd write a page. And I still remember the first day, it was, uh, we read a bit of the Catcher in the Rye. And then we were told to become Holden Caulfield. Not his world, my world, you know, my small town Jersey world, but, be, but writing at it from the perspective of Holden Caulfield. And each week we did that. And what happened is I just became so free you know taking on these different personas and so in terms of advice of writing a memoir yes there's the plot of your life um but how are you are going to tell it who's going to tell it for you are you going to tell it first person third person whatever um but that freedom to write to feel i was under the power of a of a narrator that was not me but was me um just let me have so much fun one one a professor once told me something. He's like, someone said, "I want to write." He's like, well, do you, do you love sentences?" The person's like, "Huh?" It's like, but yeah, love your sentences.
0: Yeah, you, know, you just touched on something that I thought I might ask you about because you know we're in graduation season and we have students who are graduating from high school, they're graduating from college, um, and you have a lot in your book about how how a young person launches into the world and how how you went about doing that, and the decision to major in economics after doing badly on a writing test, even though writing was something that you had always seen yourself doing, I thought was really, really kind of spoke to that freshman experience.
1: The maybe, ignorance. The, the ign- <laughs> <or> stupidity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the, the making of decisions. Maybe, I don't know, maybe like not for the right reasons, or maybe it was the right decision and you were meant to do it. I don't know. But I was wondering if you could go back in time to your freshman self, making that decision in that moment, what would you do would you do it the same or or would you do something different
1: oh i would do it so differently <laughs> um but you know it, it in a sense uh, you say making decisions i feel like for so long i didn't make decisions you know i just went with the flow right um i mean i one decision i made that was great i wanted to go to princeton since i was eight eighth grade not because Princeton was a good school um but because they held the state championship wrestling there every year for new jersey and i was in new jersey i was wrestling i wanted to go to the states and so it was all about jadwin gym that's why i wanted to go to princeton luckily it was a good school too but that was a decision i made um, but then in college i didn't make decisions um, at least academically um i made social decisions and for me the princeton experience is really about what happened to me socially in a wonderful incredible way the my peers um, who are my dearest friends today, um, who I continue to meet new Princeton people, you know, in my fifties. And it just, there's some sort of crazy bond with, with them, but that, that was beyond anything I could have hoped for in terms of beauty. Um, but so going back to my freshman self, you know, I often think, you know, all of the incredible writers I did not study with, you know, Tony Morrison, John McPhee, I'm like, Oh my God. Um, but I wouldn't have been ready for that, you know, or it might have squashed me because I would have been too much or whatever. Um, I found the right writing teacher at the right time in my 20s, you know, the right person to show me the key to unlock my creative potential, which might not have happened. I might have majored in literature, or writing and instance, never wrote again because of it wasn't the right time. So it's really tricky to do it differently. Yes, I would have wished I had some more agency, but. Then I had another decision I made, Princeton decision, which was key. So I went out, got into New York and then was in banking. And I tried to fit myself into various banking spots, um, even working for an economic and political newsletter, thinking, oh, maybe that's a little more creative. But I finally was reali- realized I need to leave everything I know in order to really you know, find myself or at least find out what I actually like to do. And I uh, signed up for Princeton Asia and was accepted. And... Got a post in Chiang Mai, Thailand, Uh, moved there in the late 80s and was, you know, in a place I had no clue. You know, I was I'll tell you how ridiculous I was when graduating from right after Princeton and a couple of us did a European trip um, and I loaded up on U.S. stamps thinking when I'm over there, I can send a lot of letters to people I want to send to you know, that's how much of it was not really uh, different countries have their own stamps. <laughs> so that's how much I needed to, to get, get going and get out of the world. Um, so spending a year in, in Thailand with another guy in, in Chiang Mai, Tom McFarland, you're behind me. Um, we were mutual life support systems. We think of each other and are dear friends till still, um, I really started to think about what I like to do or who am I, what, what do I want? Um, And I came up with, which is, so thinking back to the freshman, yes, eventually, you know, try to see pull yourself out of the other different things and have your own own agency. What would you like? And (laughs) I, I came up with two things in Thailand. I like to read books and watch movies, which was why when I came back, I did two things. I banged on a thousand doors and finally got into the movie business and I started taking writing classes. Um, And from there, the movie business was incredible. Suddenly I was in a creative field. There was writing. But as I you know, got higher in the ranks and was working with screenwriters, adapting books or whatever, it kept this thing in the back of my mind was I'm not deep enough in myself. I'm helping other writers achieve what they want. You know, I'm telling their story or helping them tell their story. And I had one of these um, what I call sort of I do this sort of deathbed decisions sometimes. It's like, well, on my deathbed. Would I rather think back and say I helped some other people make some good movies, or would I have Would I rather have a book in my hand that I wrote, and decided on the book in my hand? So I turned down Ridley Scott for a vice president of development job. Can you believe how ridiculous that is? <laughs> Still haunts me. But I knew if I took that job, I, I wouldn't become a writer.
0: That's um. That's real. That's really interesting. I think um. I, I don't think every, uh, every student gets that kind of an opportunity or, 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 or even thinks about who do I want to be. Sometimes it just feels like your life is so scripted and you're just going from high school achievement to college achievement to after college achievement, and you're kind of just chasing what you think you're supposed to do as opposed to trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I probably wouldn't you know wouldn't have been able to figure it out if the thing I was choosing to, wasn't writing because by writing, you're also try you're, you're you're tapping into some inner place that I think helped me. And I would, there was this moment, um, <laughs> I remember it so vividly, I'm in a library and I'm still sort of in this, where am I going, what's happening? Um, I think it was probably in the film industry at this point, but I'm in the library and it's this whole row of Paris Reviews. And you know, the Paris Review has all of these incredible interviews with writers going back to, you know, whenever. And I look down this row and I'm reading one, probably Marquez or something like that. And I'm in absolute heaven. And I thought to myself, oh, no, <laughs> I'm doomed. <laughs> if this is what I love, I'm going to have to be a writer and it's going to be a life, you know, it's guaranteed not to make you much money, guaranteed to do this. But I just was so happy in that spot. I said, well, there you go. <laughs> but it was not an elate- a feeling of a elate- It was mixed.
0: Um, There was another uh, later decision I wanted to ask you about as well, um, which stood out to me. You became a stay-at-home dad, which should not be as uncommon as it is. Um, But, you know, it is a little unusual and um, pretty cool, I think. Can you talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, and that was sort of—I went back. So once I said no to Ridley Scott and said, I guess I'm all in— I really am going to do this thing. So that's when I started applying to grad schools to get an MFA in writing. And so at the age of 38, my wife and I, Kathleen Baker, and, you know, my God, thank she kept saying yes to all these things that I say, <laughs> um, let's take this turn. But she has faith. She's a minister. And she had faith in me, which um, I'll start crying if I keep going, but we'll go. But um, so we drove down to Tallahassee, Florida, and because I was going to go to Florida State, there were some incredible writers there and teachers that I wanted to study with. And so we went down there at age 38, which was like, whoa, already. And then when we got down there, we have been living in New York for so long and it's fast paced and everything's going on. And I'd work in so much in film and, you know, work until midnight, different things. We get down there, and we're like, kind of look around and we're like, wow, we're poorer than we've ever been. But it seems like we could actually have a child. <laughs> because we, You know, we could do this now. It wasn't like in New York when... Um, so our first child, Hardy, was born, you know, the guy who stabbed me in the back recently, I told you, by not going to Princeton, turning it down um, for Yale. Um, but he he was born the second summer. So after my first year there. And so that first year I was in school. Kathleen was working as a hospice chaplain. And we sort of, you know, we co-parented as best we could that first year because we we're both doing things. And then she got a great offer for a job back in New York at Union Seminary. Where she had attended, um, but now working as chief of staff for the president. So, I said, "I'm finishing up here. I would. I want to write. Let's do this. I'll be the stay-at-home dad. You go to work." And we were living on campus at Union, so it was great. She, you know, she was there. wasn't like she was far away. But that's how the decision kind of went. Um, and then I quickly found out, wow, stay-at-home dad's hard. You know, it's like it's it's exhausting. It's frustrating, the emotional highs and lows. Um, you have to make dinner too. It's not just taking care of the kid. Um, so I had no time to write. <laughs> but it was incredible material for a writer. And it was an incredible, I say was, because then eventually we came to the Vineyard and eventually your kids grow up and you're not to stay at home. But um, it, was, it was the thing that pulled me more into who I am. Um, at my best and worst, <laughs> um, and you know, I, I there's a bit in the book where I there was another stay at home dad in the sandbox, and he was like smiling and saying, you know, isn't it a great job, greatest job in the world? And I just wanted to punch him, wrestle him right there. It was like, what are you crazy? Um, but looking back, I I am so glad that I had that opportunity.
0: So, how did you end up at the Vineyard Gazette?
1: Um, It's been incredible. It sort of came sort of out of left field, but not really. But it's sort of, you know, my habit going back to, you know, changing careers. What I've also done, some people, you know, change careers and stay at the level. You know, I start all the way again because it's completely different um, <laughs> industry, which is kind of weird. So, but we moved to the vineyard. I didn't know what I was going to do. I have the vineyard ties. My mom's side goes back to the 1700s. They were whalers. So I spent every summer in my grandparents' small cottage. Um so the vineyard is a, is such um you know a place of my heart and soul. But I didn't know what I was gonna do there. I had an inkling that it might have something to do with the vineyard gazette because I've been reading it since I was a kid. It's a it's been around since 1846. It's got an incredible history of writing, of news, of this place. It focuses on the vineyard. So I thought maybe there'd be something there, but um when we first moved there, I was stay-at-home dad, but I started sending them essays my, you know, just life with my kids, whatever. And they were publishing on them, never reaching out to say, who is this guy? They would just sort of publish them. And I would see it and I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then, you know, a couple of months would go by. But then two years after we got there, I was, and during those years, I was even commuting back to New York to tutor SATs because it's lucrative in New York. It was kind of a mixed up kind of time. So they finally had an opening just before summer started in 2010 um for this calendar (laughs) entry so i applied going i got to do something and yeah it's 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 hard (laughs) you know and and grueling because summer was about to start there's so many activities in the vineyard and you're making sure everyone's in there and all this stuff and it was it was hard and I, i almost left after a day i was like this is nuts but then the next day when it wasn't it had a little downtime i realized oh my job is to write You know i can do that too i'm on the inside and so i wrote a piece about father's day and then later in the summer i wrote um you know a story you know more of a feature on someone a local filmmaker and it was just like oh this is this is heaven you know i'm i'm writing and i'm writing about the place i love and because the vineyard is two things it's it's a small small town you know deserted in the winter and has all of those you know Pluses and minuses of a small town. I would say mostly pluses, and then in the summer it becomes a worldwide destination. So you get to experience these very different worlds that all come together and write about them, right? And the people who come here or the people who live here. It's it was such it's such a rich place in terms of um, people, personalities, and um, subject matter. So I just kept kept doing what I was doing, you know, writing more, and then. Then I became, you know, assistant editor and then I became managing editor after a few years. And then um, the editor, Julia Wells, who I owe so much to. She was my first reader on so many of my essays or all of my Gazette essays um, and just has been an instrumental part of my life and growth as a writer and a person. Uh, she retired. And so I took on the the editorship. But it would have been so I've been there 13 years.
0: So now the buck stops with you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. A <laughs> more pressure, but, um, but it's fun. You know, it's, it, I've got it. It's just the, the people I work with, the coworkers, it, it, you know, we often, it looks like, it feels like a sitcom. It's, it's so much fun. There's different personalities. They're so talented. Um, and it, it's really a beautiful place and it's, you know, you just end up knowing everything about the Island because you're, you're, you got your eyes on everything. And then, you know, and then governor Rhonda Sanders will send migrants to our Island and become a national story. You know, it's, it's really, um, incredible, the different things that happen here.
0: You might be in a good position to, and maybe this is a nice note to, to end on, um, given the work that you've done with young people and writing, experiences you've had as a parent, and kind of all of this introspection that went into writing, the story of who you are, what advice would you give students who are starting Princeton next year?
1: That's a really good question. And it's also a hard question. <laughs> you know, we're, I always think we're all such individuals. So what worked for me or didn't work for me may not have any bearing on anybody else. But thinking back to, you know, kind of goes with one of your earlier questions, looking back, what would I do differently? And I really wish I wasn't so afraid. I wasn't so afraid of not succeeding or succeeding, of fitting in, of being alone, basically afraid to try anything new. So I I think, you know, we can't get away from nerves. They're always a part of our life, but try not to make decisions based on being afraid, which of course is much easier said than done. Um, And another way too, I'm a sucker for origin stories. I just love origin stories. So whenever I'm interviewing somebody, I always wanna know how they became who they are. You know, what was the road? And it's just never a straight line, of course. It zigs, it zags, it's filled with, you know, setbacks and heartbreaks, but it's always miraculous how we become who we are. And so the freshmen, I would say, really understand that you are embarking on a huge, huge chapter of your origin story. Embrace it, live your own origin story And nobody else's.
0: I love that. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today.
1: Liz, this was so awesome. I I could keep going forever.
0: PawCast is a monthly interview podcast produced by the Princeton Alumni Weekly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can read transcripts of every episode on our website paw.princeton.edu. Music for this podcast is licensed from Universal Production Music.